Over the past year, the FTSE All-Share Index and many UK equity income funds have made negative returns. But Troy Income and Growth Trust and Troy Trojan Income Fund, which are managed by today's guest Hugo Yeo, made positive returns. Hugo, how did the funds you run achieve this positive performance? Thanks, Leonora. The NAV uh, return from the trust was a little over 5%. Um, versus a uh, three, little over 3% decline from the all share. And really, we've got two important tools at our disposal to allow us uh, to deliver a return that's differentiated from the market. And the first of those is our focus on quality within our investment process, our focus on owning quality franchises for the long term, thinking about how those franchises are financed, and thinking about the valuation of those uh, assets. Um, By combining those three parts of the process, we can hopefully produce a portfolio that is more robust against market declines. The second part of it is our freedom uh, from benchmarks. Uh, We are not constrained by our benchmark uh, in terms of stock weightings or sector weightings. And what this means is that we can pick and choose our sector exposures and our stock exposures, uh, and they can be quite different from the market. Uh, We have no mining stocks, for example. We have no aerospace and defence stocks. um, But we we have twice the index weighting in consumer goods. And stocks like Unilever, Nestle and P&G were really the backbone of the performance last year, whereas aerospace and defence delivered quite strongly negative returns. And so by having a portfolio that is able to be different from the market, uh, we can produce some very different results. On that note, your funds also aim and succeed in generating lower volatility returns but also good returns over the longer term. How do you do that? Because there's a a kind of perception that if you want a higher reward, you should take higher risk and higher volatility. We we believe that assumption, uh, which academically works very nicely, in reality is is wrong. And we don't think that it's necessary to take additional risk to generate uh, additional return. Uh, We believe very strongly that the markets are inefficient in the short and, and possibly the medium term. And that by being patient investors, Uh, We can wait until companies and stocks uh, fall out of favour and and make purchases uh, at those times. And that allows us to invest when others are uh, looking the other way, um, allows us to invest in a more contrarian fashion. And a good example of this was Q1 2018, so the first quarter of last year. Uh, And what happened was at that point, we felt that after two years of derating, those high quality consumer franchises that form the backbone of the portfolio had fallen out of favour. And this was a fantastic opportunity to add to those stocks. So we added to our position in Relics, in Coca-Cola, in Nestle, in Unilever. And all those stocks are the same stocks that performed very well in the fourth quarter of last year. So it's by investing against um, our our peers in a, in a different way to our peers um, allows us to deliver um, returns uh, with, with lower risk. Okay, I mean that's interesting because um, many UK equity income funds have been accused of having many of the same holdings as each other. Now you've highlighted some differences between yourself and your sector peers. So how else would you say that Troy Income and Growth Trust and Trojan Income Fund uh, differ to uh, many UK equity income funds? It is true, and there is a point about uh, the overlap, especially within the top 10 holdings um, across uh, the sector as a whole. 47% of the UK market income um, is provided by 10 stocks alone. 
Uh, and so in order to deliver a yield, there has to be some exposure to those top 10 stocks. Um, we own seven out of 10 of them um, and are underweight in many cases. And it's really below the top 10 in, in the remaining uh, 30 or so holdings within the portfolio that we like to differentiate ourselves. Uh, we hold stocks like Next, uh, which has not always been a, uh, a favourite of the stock market, but a belief that it is a very well-managed and cash-generative franchise um, that can continue to pay strong dividends. Domino's, uh, another example, Hiscox and Lancashire, um, the Lloyd's Insurance vehicles, not obviously income stocks, but have a propensity to pay special dividends um, and make a very strong contribution over the long term. And so by finding interesting ideas further down the FTSE 100 and the FTSE 250, uh, we can create a portfolio that's differentiated. And the returns speak to that differentiation. Uh, the Troy Income and Growth Trust has delivered a return better than the market without using leverage as some of our peers have done, and also with considerably less volatility. And so it is by having a differentiated and different portfolio that we can deliver those different returns. Um, your funds have been very successful in mitigating downside, but in calendar year 2018, Troy Income and Growth Trust actually made a negative return. And from what I could see for the first time since Troy Asset Management started running it in 2009, what caused this? So the investment trust is a fully invested mandate and so therefore is exposed to equity risk. And it is impossible for us to move out of the equity market and therefore we will always have some exposure. I spoke earlier about how uh, we try and mitigate the volatility and the risk within that exposure, but it's not always possible to mitigate all of it. Uh, and so we will participate to some extent in, in market declines. And last year was a weak year for the broader market. So it's not a surprise to us uh, that we fell a little bit and weren't necessarily generating a positive return. There were also one or two stock-specific impacts, and most notably a holding in British American Tobacco, uh, which had a very poor year. Uh, we felt that after a bit of a correction in 2017, it was well positioned to preserve capital. But actually, we just saw regulatory pressure increase over the course of last year. And that meant that the, a stock that we'd hoped would defend the value of capital during more difficult and volatile markets failed to do so. You recently explained uh, why you invest in Experian despite its low dividend yield of around 1.5%. Do you hold many other stocks of a low yield? We don't have a restriction on the yield um, of any one stock within the portfolio. So as you rightly say, Experian yields about 1.5%. Amex, uh, which we also hold in the trust, yields about 1.2%. And these are stocks that we believe are almost unique, operate in uh, particular niches and have very attractive growth and free potentially free cash flow profiles and are stocks that we would like to own uh, and have owned uh, for, for some time. And we can create a portfolio that has a blended yield uh, with some high yielders and some, some lower yielders. Additionally, we held Lloyd's in 2014 before it paid a dividend with the recognition that it was likely to come to the dividend list at, at some point in the future, and that subsequently happened. And again, in 2014, we were holders of BG, which was on a sub 2% yield with a recognition that when the assets in the Santos Basin uh, started to develop, it would become more cash generative. This was something that Royal Dutch Shell also spotted, and obviously um, the ensuing acquisition uh, meant that we no longer hold it. But we're very happy to hold lower yield companies if we think they are on a trage trajectory that enables them to deliver a high cash flow and a growing yield at some point in the future. Do you have any yield requirements in, in potential investments, any kind of basic things that you bet? 
no hard and fast stock-specific uh, mm. yield requirement. We feel that it's important to invest with as much flexibility as we can do. Uh, it's a difficult job um, mm-hmm. to create a portfolio that delivers a sustainable and growing yield. And uh, we don't want to make it any harder for ourselves by having firm and inflexible mm-hmm. boundaries. However, what we are trying to do is create a portfolio uh, that delivers something akin to a market yield and that will grow in the mid-single digits, so 4 or 5% or thereabouts over the medium term. And the blend of the underlying stocks needs to meet those requirements from the portfolio. So if we do own lower-yielding stocks, we have to own higher-yielding stocks elsewhere. And that means that there is a bit of a spread within the portfolio. Other than yield, I mean, what are the other key aspects that um, you assess when deciding whether to add a stock to your funds. As I said earlier, we're looking for quality companies. Uh, And what this really means is we're looking for businesses that we think uh, we can be fairly confident are going to be more valuable in five or 10 years' time than they are today. Uh, And this is really about companies that have unique or special franchises, that have pricing power, that have barriers to entry or have favourable market conditions. And when you look at a a company like Coca-Cola, which has very strong relationships with its customers, or Relics, where its software and information services are embedded within businesses, or even a company like AstraZeneca, where its revenues are protected by patents, these stocks have an, an ability to deliver over the long term attractive returns. We also look very carefully at the way those businesses are financed, as I've already said, and the valuations on which they trade. And it's only when those three aspects of the investment case uh, fall into place together um, do we make investments. Are there any features or attributes that would deter you from investing in a stock? What don't you like to see? Absolutely. It's a broad brush comment. I think we feel hesitant about a combination of cyclicality and capital intensity. What this means is companies that have uh, have to invest very heavily in order to grow, and they have to do that at a point in the cycle uh, where risk is most significant. And the mining companies are a very good example. I mentioned already that we don't mm. hold miners within the portfolio and haven't done for a very long time. And if you look historically at the returns they've delivered, Uh, You saw very, very steep falls from their 2014 peaks through 2015 and into early 2016. And those companies aren't back at those original 2014 highs in many cases. Many of them have suffered dividend cuts on the way. And really, these are the sorts of companies that if you're trying to deliver a steadily compounding return over the long term, you don't need to hold in your portfolio. Absolutely, we recognise that other investors with shorter time horizons and more appetite for volatility can make very decent returns from those stocks. But for this profile of returns from a trust such as this, we don't want to hold them. And what would you say are the main risks to the kind of shares you do hold? And what are you doing to manage them? Clearly, there's a couple of risks that have uh, become apparent over recent years at various times. Um, Valuation risk is a transitory risk that sometimes applies more pressure to the portfolio. And through 2013 and 14, with very strong performance, we felt that starting to bite. Actually, as I've said, you know that derating that followed um, the election of Donald Trump in the US and a quite significant market rotation has means that we're very happy with the valuation today of most of our companies. But one risk that has emerged more recently 
is an increasing regulatory uh, risk and politicisation of the equity markets. And that has led to us to divest our water uh, utility holdings, um, our investment in Centrica and our investment in stocks such as Royal Mail, where we feel that the political backdrop and the regulatory backdrop to some of these sectors has become increasingly less favourable and uh, and more difficult to justify holding stocks that we essentially hold within the portfolio for their defensive characteristics. You obviously run a UK equities fund, so perhaps you know an investor might think that an obvious risk is Brexit. I mean, do you think, is 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 it a big problem with the shares you hold? We obviously recognise that Brexit mm. is a very significant uncertainty uh, when we look at the UK equity market, uh, which is divided into two broad pools: um, those stocks which have a inward-looking, very UK-centric revenue um, profile and those companies which have a global revenue base. Uh, And we, like the market as a whole, are more skewed to those companies which have a global revenue base. So I've already mentioned stocks such as Coca-Cola, which is listed overseas, but also UK-listed stocks such as Unilever, Reckitt, Benckiser, Relics, which I've uh, mentioned already. Uh, And those companies have global revenues and are much less exposed to a slowdown in the UK economy. Where we do have exposure to the UK economy, which accounts for about 35% of the aggregate revenues generated by the portfolio. Many of those are quite defensive revenue streams and economically relatively insensitive. Uh, And so although we do recognise there is an exposure there, um, we are not making a binary call on the outcome of Brexit. Uh, We are trying to create a portfolio that will be robust against whatever outcome uh, we see. Uh, And really, um, that is the objective of of the trust with any of these sort of binary events to try and produce a portfolio that will continue to compound returns over the long term, whatever the market throws at us. Now, UK equity income has come under the spotlight recently for all the wrong reasons, namely the suspension in trading of Neil Woodford's Elif Woodford Equity Income Fund. This has led some commentators, probably unfairly, to take a critical view of the whole UK equity income sector and the funds that invest in it. So why would you argue as a a UK equity income manager that it's still a very relevant area for investors? I think most importantly, income is a tangible return from a company. We know um, through some of these very fast growth US FANG stocks, as they've become known, the Facebooks and Amazons of this world, that projected future earnings can be very exciting for investors. But there is a certainty that comes with receiving a a dividend check in the post that you can put into your bank and you can spend. And what that means is that with that certainty comes a anchoring to the valuation of the stock through the yield. And if you can create a portfolio of stocks that are steadily growing the dividend they are producing, the capital value of those stocks should be growing as well. Um, It may uh, dislocate over short periods of time, but over the long term, and again, go back to this idea that we're long-term investors, it is very clear to us that such a portfolio will grow in capital value as well as in terms of yield and the income that it produces. Okay. And do you think UK equity income still stacks up well against uh, overseas equity income? I think the UK market still has a a very attractive yield. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of our investors are sterling investors and therefore having a sterling denominated fund exposed to companies um, producing sterling dividends is is still very important. So yes, I do. The uh, Neil Woodford episode has also provided advocates of passive funds of ammunition. Do you think that 
active funds are the best way to get exposure to UK equity income? I, I think absolutely. And I'm, I've already spoken about the fact that markets are inefficient, especially over the short to medium term, and that active investors have the ability to take advantage of those inefficiencies. And the track record of the trust delivering better than market returns with less volatility speaks to our ability to do that over a, and what is now very nearly a 10-year time frame. So I think the data talks to itself. But by way of specific examples, it is important, especially with a risk-first investment process like ours, um, that we can identify stocks that cause particular damage to investors and create permanent capital loss. And the most obvious example we've had in recent years is Carillion. Carillion was trading at £2 before its warning, um, subsequently suspended trading. But at that point, when it was trading at £2, it had a 9% yield. And if you were passively tracking an index based on yield, you would have had a very high weighting and exposure to a stock like that. We recognised it was not the sort of stock that we wanted to own and recognised the risks around that dividend in the process and therefore didn't own it. And I think as an active manager, you are able to make that sort of decision, whereas a passive manager isn't. You also run Troy Trojan Ethical Income Fund, but equity income is associated with sectors such as tobacco and oil, which this fund and other ethical funds don't have exposure to. So, I mean, how do you manage to generate an income without investing in these so-called sin stocks? Absolutely. I wholly recognise what you're saying. And it is true that the oil and gas sector contribute about 20% of the market dividend, tobacco another 6% of the market dividend. But it's for that very reason that the challenge of producing a income fund without those sectors, without exposure to some of those old economy stocks, it is a challenge and why there, there is a market demand for it. What we've done to allow ourselves uh, a little bit of additional flexibility to replace some of that income is to have a slightly higher allowed weighting to overseas stocks. So traditionally, 20% for most of the UK sectors is a maximum holding in overseas stocks. We've allowed ourselves to go up to 30%. It still remains a very UK-focused portfolio, but whereas we can't hold international stocks uh, like raw Dutch shell and like British American tobacco, we can replace those with equally international revenue streams uh, from stocks such as Novartis, P&G and Colgate, which happen to be listed overseas, uh, but with equally attractive yields. The yield will never be quite as high as it is for uh, the Income Fund or the Troy Income and Growth Trust, but we can still deliver a meaningful dividend yield to an investor where there isn't a huge amount of options around delivering or generating income from a lot of the new green tech, clean tech companies that form quite a considerable part of a lot of sustainable and uh, darker green portfolios. Now, when you, you're you selecting stocks for tri-trojan ethical income, what are the main differences in terms of the process with this fund uh, compared to the process with your conventional UK equity income funds? So when we look at the wider responsible investment uh, agenda and process at, at Troy Asset Management, um, we have two two aspects to this. And one is Troy's approach to responsible investment, which incorporates the way we vote our shares, the integration of environmental, social and governance factors into our process and our engagement with companies. And that is done across all of Troy's mandates. And we feel very strongly that it's appropriate to analyse these risks and for a investment management firm that is approaching investment from a risk-first perspective, trying to minimise those risks and generate those steadily compounding returns, having an understanding of all the risks, whether they be 
financial or non-financial, um, is very, very important. The ethical funds go one stage further and they produce a negative screen which prevents us, regardless of the risk return profile, from investing in a number of sectors. And there's seven sectors that are excluded um, and those cover tobacco, pornography, gambling, oil and gas or fossil fuels, armaments, high interest rate lending and alcoholic beverages. Uh, and we exclude those from the portfolio. So that's the main difference. But that ESG integration covers everything that we do at Troy. Thank you, Hugo. A really interesting insight into how you and your colleagues at Troy Asset Management seek equity income. That brings us to the end of today's interview. But for more UK equity income, see the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.